On this episode of Wild in the Streets, we're looking at the smash hit film often cited as the forerunner of the 70s Poliziotesco boom. It's 1972's Execution Squad. Welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as always, is the boss, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Man, Doug, I, I'm trying to live into my boss. I'm trying to feel like the boss, you know? I, I'm feeling more like a random henchman who gets shot in an action scene. That feels more like my vibe today. <laughs> Liam, you got to feel good about the idea that things are opening up a little bit. Even at the time that this episode is going to be released, you know, the world seems to be returning to some level of normalcy. How does that make you feel? Well, I mean, let's not say the world. Let's say the world that I'm in is is starting to return to normalcy. Um, considering I have a friend in Uganda who's currently sick with COVID and not doing very well, mm. and I have a friend whose uncle just died of COVID in the Philippines, mm. I, I think saying the world, because I keep seeing that everywhere, not to pick on you, Doug, but I keep seeing it everywhere. The world is turning back to normal, and I'm like, tell that to India. Like, <laughs> It's funny, because I'm saying that from the perspective of a country where we're barely getting back yeah, to like, right. like, I mean, no one is, anyway, yes, you're exactly did, right. Didn't they just shut down a whole city in Australia because of COVID? Like, uh, I think Melbourne maybe just got shut down. Yeah, like but that. they're pretty sensitive there in australia yeah that's true that's true that's true (laughs) real real lightweights uh but no like yeah yeah no i do i do understand what you're saying and i will say i am building up the idea of going to a movie theater i still think if i go i'm gonna leave a mask on uh which in uh, where we're at in my area doug is for the most part people are still rocking masks there Mm -hmm. is a business though that not only remove their mask signs, but they put up a sign letting you know that you don't have to have a mask or socially distant. And it's worded in such a way that it's pretty clear they expect you to not do those things. Right. You know, like the, the sign doesn't say don't have your mask on, but it is kind of like, you know, you don't have to have that mask on, right? It's sort of the vibe of the sign. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm still going to leave it on. <laughs> At least inside. Like, I'm totally fine outside. I feel pretty confident, you know, outdoor dining and, and, and being at outdoor events uh, that are not too packed. But uh, if if I'm going to sit in a movie theater, like literally the worst ventilated room I've ever sure. been in in my mm-hmm. life, I'm going to wear that mask. For now, it- at least. It is strange to hear of our friends, and when I'm talking about our friends, I mean specifically in the U.S., who have started going back to seeing movies in theaters regularly. Where I am in the city that I live, we only have a multiplex. That multiplex is not even open yet, uh, even though um, at this time Ontario has started to open up their businesses again. Movie theaters are not included in that yet. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't even have the ability to do that, which is probably good because no one has their second shot here. But the idea that I have friends who are like, oh, yeah, I just saw In the Heights. I just saw, you know, th- it's still weird to me that people are going to see movies anywhere. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, too. Like, Josh, uh, of the two of us, for some reason, Josh is the one on Cinepunks that actually gets invited to press screenings. And he goes oh. regularly to press screenings. Really? Um, yeah, it's so cool for him and not cool for me. Um 
And so he went to one for In in the Heights. And he said, you know, it was cool to be back in the theater and to be watching a movie, whatever. It, it was a little weird, though, because everyone is so stoked that there was this real vibe of, like, camaraderie at the thing where everyone right, wanted right, right. to talk to each other. And he's like, these people never talked to me before. Like, I don't know them. <laughs> like, I don't even know who they are. But they're all like, oh, we're back. Yeah. What is up? And he's like, he's like, nah, this is not. I'm not ready for this kumbaya stuff, man. Like, it's, <laughs> it's cool. You sit over there. I'll sit over here. It's no big deal. It's like it back to normalcy. Uh, no, this is just weird in a different way. It'll yeah, be normal exactly. in six months from now when everyone hates each other. Again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Liam, we're here to talk about Euro crime movies. Our, this is only of our second episode of Wild in the Streets. Both of us, we're kind of neophytes, right? We don't really know that much about these uh, genre films, uh, but I'm very curious about it still. And I'm glad that now we've gotten away from those kind of late 60s entries uh, we are now moving into something that's a little bit closer to what I pictured in regards to these kind of movies, very much in the post-Dirty Harry world. I wanted, in this first segment, to get your take not on Euro crime movies, but in kind of American crime movies at this time period. What is your perspective on kind of early 70s crime movies like Dirty Harry? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, I usually appreciate those sorts of movies because I appreciate the grimy action of it all you know sure. um, mm-hmm. in, in fact it's one of my disconnects from more modern action movies because um i i don't know there just seems to be this gulf between even just a run-of-the-mill 70s crime film and something from today yeah absolutely. Um, and and i miss those films even though 80% of the time if they're an American crime film from this period they're just straight up copaganda you know yeah. like just just unapologetically the world is an awful place and luckily there are these gritty possibly immoral police to protect us you know um, I, I don't love that as a vibe but it's never like for some reason it doesn't strike me in any particular way in fact um, you know even those films in which uh we're not just facing criminals, we're facing political radicals. You know, like right. there's a whole genre of film that's about how dangerous leftists are. I fucking love those movies half the time. And <laughs> even though the villain is me, I'm the villain, basically. And I'm like, yeah, this movie's a lot of fun. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's because they're often so ridiculous. I don't know if it's because... Anyways, as long as the movies don't spill into abject racism, which I think is unfortunately... Uh, the case in some of the later Dirty Harry movies, maybe not right. the first, mm-hmm. but uh, but some of the later movies, they feel like they they go over the line from just a general, um, let's call it hostility towards poor's into specifically black people most of the time, sometimes uh, uh, Latinx folks, but mm-hmm. mostly these are anti-black films. When they become explicitly anti-black, I, I can't. I, I Even if I, I think the rest of the movie's great, it just gets to be a little too much for me. And that's not just in the 70s. That goes into the 80s, too. There's a whole wow, 80s genre that's not even cop films, but they're just about the danger of the of the ghetto movies, basically. I, I suggest it actually gets even worse in the 80s. Oh, yeah. It becomes a lot more cartoonish, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I have very similar opinions to you. If anything, I feel a lot more guilty about my uh, kind of action movie preferences in the 70s because they do tend to err on the side of conservatism in regards to their perspective on on you know wealthy versus poor i mean generally these movies wealthy people are pieces of shit too i mean yeah. they sometimes are the people who are kind of funding the whole thing but much of the runtime is going to be 
white cop minority criminals in some ways. I mean, we are talking a little bit about the original Dirty Harry, which has, you know, they're both white, but the white criminal in that case is very much the kind of person who uses the system in his favor. Right, yeah. And you can absolutely see the the influence of that on the movie we're going to talk about today. I do I do want to say, though, that um, there's plenty of counterbalances, though. Like, if, if, if someone is exploring 70s action and they're getting a little tired of the the classism, racism, pro copness of it all, like slide on over to, to certain black exploitation films or, you know, some of my favorite films in the seventies are the films that try to go the other way. They're like the real ham fisted race retaliation movies, you know, where sure. it's like all the white people in this movie are bad. And there's some, uh, <laughs> there's some person of color. Maybe they're black, maybe they're native American, even whatever. And they're just getting ham fisted revenge. And you know, nothing about this movie is actually, uh, fighting white supremacy. In fact, it's probably affirming it for some of its audience, but if you just unplug your brain for a little bit, it's just a lot of fun to watch white people suffer in these movies. My and only so- difficulty with that at all, Liam, is that often those movies are directed and written by white people. I know, but I honestly, I, I find it kind of fun because I think uh, I think half the time the people who made those movies were still motivated by a kind of like like uh, uh, gross white guilt, and I kind of love that. Like I kind of like, yeah, man, self-flagellate yourself for me on screen. Like that's what I want to see right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you have that interpretation. There are some more negative co- interpretations that could come from that, but what you're saying is you can enjoy Dirty Harry. You can enjoy the Black Gestapo. You can enjoy both of them as long as you balance them out with one other. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I, I actually think I, I like Dirty Harry. I think it's a little overrated. Like, people act like, you know, well, you know, I don't want to say I like problematic movies, but Dirty Harry is such an essential movie. And I'm like, mm-hmm. A, I don't think it's quite, I, I think it's a problem, but it's not. I think it feels more problematic because of its sequels, which became and, and its legacy, in which a lot of people tried to copy it in, in an even worse way than the movie. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Also, it's not. I don't think it's like the end all be all of cop films the way that people treat it is. I, you know, it's good, but I I I've never been like without Dirty Harry, you have no cop films. It's just not for me. You know, I it's like uh I don't know. I guess I feel about it the way I feel about like certain kinds of music where like for some people it's like this is without this there is no metal or no rock and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. That's a pretty good record, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting that we recently talked about the Shaft remake on our John Singleton show. Sure. Because Shaft came out the same year as Dirty Harry and takes a much different approach. I mean, very not just suspicious against white people, but specifically against cops, right? I mean, they are considered someone, uh, you know, the same way that the system, the quote-unquote system, is what keeps the cops from doing their job. The cops are what keeps, you know, a black private detective from doing their job. Uh, I guess there's always some sort of system in place to to keep you from from having as much power as you theoretically want. But in a lot of those, especially, you know, Dirty Harry clones, the system is always shown, you know, right from the beginning to be the bad thing. Like, the system is a problem that this person has overcome, which is, again, one of the more refreshing things about the movie we're going to talk about today, Execution Squad, which, at the very least, it takes a more even keel on it to say, hey, maybe it's good to have some rules, because if you didn't, bad things might happen. Yeah, I I mean I I think we this film and we'll get into it uh, uh, you know more in a sec but I do think this film is meant as a criticism but I think for us we are you know in 2021 we're like well it's a criticism of the police but it doesn't seem to like 
come at the issue as directly as it could, forgetting like maybe it was just hard enough to even make a film that was critical of police at all. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like, you yeah. know, like like just sort of respecting that this thing even exists in the climate in which it does. You know. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it's an important point. In fact, an important point that we'll even talk about in regards to Execution Squad. Let's take a break, Liam. When we come back, 1972's Execution Squad. Pronto, rispondete. Che succede? Bertoni is a moderately honest homicide cop. Unfortunately, the court system is so inept and corrupt that many more or less honest policemen have begun taking the law into their own hands. Between his efforts to thwart the growth of crime and to control his vengeful co-workers, Homicide Chief Bertoni has his hands full. It's 1972's Execution Squad, a.k.a. La Policia Ringrazia, which means something like thank you to the police. Uh, Execution Squad... It's directed by a kind of a very famous director in Italy. Uh, he goes by the name Steno, but in this case, for the first time ever, he went by his real name, Stefano Ven- uh, Venzina. Uh, he's best known for his comedic work with, uh, well, with Toto, a very famous uh, Italian comedian, and his Bud Spencer films, including the Inspector Rizzo comedies. Uh, much of those, uh, many of those uh, films were co-written with Lucio De Caro, who also co-writes here. Uh, films like A Fistful of Hell and Flatfoot in Hong Kong. Uh, for those who know the Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill movies, Bud Spencer, of course, the big kind of hulking fella there. Uh, this was actually written for uh, a different director initially, but apparently, according to Steno at the very least, that even though he had a lot of leftist friends who were directors, they were afraid to make films that were directly critical of the police. Maybe it could have been the era in which this was made. I mean, this was, uh, again, considered one of the precursors to a lot of the Policiotesco movies that were about to come, and uh, maybe it wasn't a great environment for people who were making movies that were critical of the police force. And this movie, you could probably interpret as being not very critical, but that's something we'll talk about in just a few moments. Uh, it uh, is set during the Anni da Piombo, uh, the years of lead in Italy, a time of kind of tumultuous political violence from both the left and right wing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's was a box office hit at the time. And because it was a box office hit, there were a lot of imitators to come. I'm sure we're going to be covering some of them here on Wild in the Streets. The film stars Enrico Maria Salerno as Commissioner Bertoni, really the main character. Uh, if there's any other kind of main character, uh, even though he doesn't appear that much in the movie, it's the uh, former Superintendent Stolfi, played by the uh, great Irish actor Cyril Cusack in this film. But, Liam... I want to know now, this controversial movie, Execution Squad, what did you think of it? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, not a lot of people maybe are tuning into our Eurocrime podcast to hear our thoughts on politics and specifically on police stuff. But uh, guess what? You're going to hear them. And so I want to (laughs) start with just the basic response to the movie itself, which is I think it's pretty good. I think um, some of the chases are great. I think some of the gunfighting is great. And I think our, uh, as you put it, really the only main character, right? Like there's a bunch of, you know, interesting performances, I guess. But, you know, uh, Enrico Maria Salerno 
is the movie for the most part. You know what I mean? Like he is, he's carrying a lot of things where um, some of these other folks who are still, I guess, important, their performance, they're just not asked to do a lot. You know what I mean? Really, he's carrying it. And then I guess you could argue that the criminals are asked to do things in certain scenes, but he's really like the focus. And I think he's great. Like, I just found him very compelling in the role. And so on a really basic level, there's not really anything groundbreaking here. There's there's not any sequences where I was like, my mind was blown. There aren't any of those, you know, some of these films have those sorts of action sequences where you think, well, someone died while they were filming this. <laughs> this, is, this is not that per se, but it's still compelling the entire time. And I think it's, it, it, on a dramatic narrative level is very nuanced and it's showing us the good and the bad of this commissioner character it's the commissioner even though he's the true believer of the film he's not entirely without blame he decides to be du duplicitous when it, it benefits him but it benefits the cause of justice you know what i mean like some people might accept the ways that he is being not forthright because it's in the name of justice. Uh, meanwhile, he soon realizes there's a huge conspiracy going on that he doesn't know anything about. So maybe not telling the truth all the time is, is a bad thing. Um, but, you know, th th there is nuance to the narrative that I think is interesting. Um, the other part about this film that's really interesting, even if the film isn't wasn't interesting, like even if this film was a little bit boring, which it's not, or if it was the most exciting film I'd ever seen, which it's not. I would find the narrative about the police officers interesting at almost like a academic philosophical level. You sure. know what I mean, Doug? Mm -hmm. Because the movie really is, it seems to me the criticism of the police seems to be, if you are really thinking of criminals purely as bad guys, then it's not that hard to imagine breaking all manner of rules and regulations and morals in order to get those bad guys. And it really shows <clears throat> the police and then, let's say, criminals in general, but very specifically the organized crime folks, as just two forces vying for power. And that um, it doesn't seem to be, at least for everyone but this one commissioner guy, it doesn't seem to be that much about actual justice, actual, you know, uh, what's right, righteousness, how we would think of it, especially sure. in mm -hmm. a Catholic context. It becomes about power. How dare these criminals question our power? We have to kill them. And, like, you know, all the police seem pretty motivated by that. Like, everywhere he looks are people who are being more sympathetic to that perspective that he expects. He doesn't understand it. Even though he's willing to bend the rules, the purpose of him bending the rules is always to uphold the system. And if you look at it a certain way, I don't know that the film comes out and puts it this way, but the way the film ends, which spoilers for a how many year old movie, um, when the commissioner ends up dead by these conspiratorial police officers, it seems pretty clear that he just doesn't understand the system he's defending. Yeah. That in his mind, these dudes, these cops who are giving in to their worst impulses are going to tear the system down. And the ending seems to suggest maybe they are the system. That maybe the system is these murderous cops and that he's just the freak who doesn't understand the system he's a part of. And I like that. Now, granted, 
it also chooses to have a weird kind of stinger at the end that sort of suggests that maybe the DA is going to come after these cops. And I, I, I think that's supposed to be a note of hope. It actually – It's very toothless at the end of the movie. It for feels sure. – exactly. It feels like it takes away from the tragedy. I mean, when he dies, y'all, for those of you who are listening who haven't seen this yet, this is like a Jesus moment. And I mean that in more of a political theology point. Like I don't mean like he literally is dying for their sins. But the idea that like – he's being sacrificed for the system, you know? I I, I I, think a lot of the audience, a very Catholic Italian audience, would get the resonance there, that he is being betrayed, you know, that, that uh, he's standing... Now, granted, again, I think the film is very ambiguous about the right he's standing for. Our man is not honest, you know what I mean? Like, he's not always a good dude, but he still believes he's doing something right. And it's not clear that these cops who murder him, who've murdered a bunch of people now care about doing something right or if what they're or or if they do the right that they care about is just their own authority their own power whatever and all of that context is interesting in and of itself and that's on top of a movie that overall is also very compelling so i found myself really liking this movie again it feels maybe a little toothless at times but i have to place myself in that context and think yeah i bet this guy feared for his fucking life after making this movie the other context that I think is important is the idea of tangling with the idea of right-wing forces yes. dipping into fascism yes. in a country with a history of fascism. Yes. You know? And that's something this movie, you know, directly kind of deals with, certainly in its second half in particular, because one of the things that we discover in those kind of final 10 minutes is this, these this kind of collection of ex-police officers who have banded together to work lawlessly to do whatever they want are actively working to bring back a fascist uh, state to uh, to Italy. So, I mean, this is right. the I, th there is a suggestion. It's like, oh, you need these checks and balances. You need these rules on the police because if they were given free reign, then shit would get as bad as it got before. That's what we're trying to keep from happening. I do like this. The movie also. The thing that I both most like and most, most dislike about this movie is the same thing, which is that all crimes are put in the same pool, right? Everything is of equal level. There is a part, and we'll talk about it in just a second, where Commissioner Bertone uh, takes the reporters on a bus trip. And the bus trip is like to show, hey, look at all these criminals. Look at all the criminal element in the city. And he stops and he brings on a prostitute. And he explains how the prostitute, you know, she can't even quit if she wants to because if she does, her pimp is going to kill her. And then he brings on, I guess, like, like a gay prostitute in drag and is like, well, he blackmails the, the famous people, you know, the politically important people who have sex with them. And I'm like, good. <laughs> he should blackmail those shitty people. I don't care about that. But... To, to in the context of the movie, that is a good setup because it sets up like in in the mind of a lot of these police officers, you could be a murderer, you could be a prostitute, you could be homosexual, or as they present in the movie, you could be a union leader leftist, and they are all considered the same sort of criminal to a certain right. kind of police officer. Yes. So when these these th this group of of murderous police officers happen throughout the second half of the movie, they start killing all of those people indiscriminately because they're considered in their minds on the same level and that's something that still resonates today right i mean it just i mean this movie resonates a lot anyway just the idea yeah. i mean i think about you know every time a cop turns off his body camera and no other cop says two words about it right mm -hmm. i mean that's the same thing it's just a fraternity of people protecting each other and allowing them to 
uh, skirt the law and to do things outside of the law because they feel like they know better. And that that is something on some level that this movie tangles with. Well, and I would say actually, be you know, when you were bringing up specifically the take on fascism, it's worth keeping in mind too that how specific that is. Like that might feel like a general fear, but you know, keep in mind Italian fascism was even more about might makes right than yes. mm-hmm. than German fascism. German fascism was also race politics. And it was it was not just the might of the German people, but their racial heritage that justified their power. Sure. Italian fascism um was much less about that, though that was part of it. It was much more about uh, we're right because we have power, because we are strong. It was much more about giving identity to a warrior class, that, that, that Italy had all of these paramilitary groups and all of these, you know, uh, basically like uh, early versions of our special forces that we have now. They had them during World War One. They had these special forces who they had trained to be some of the most violent and deadly people on the planet. And then when the war was over, they were like, fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) And they didn't know what to do with these people. And these people formed gangs and those gangs looked out for each other. And what Mussolini did was give a cause to all these gangs of paramilitary, you know, these basically super soldier guys and say, yeah, we should be in charge because we're strong. And uh, it was a lot about the sexiness of violence. And so um, when you were bringing up the the direct fascism reference, it's just sort of made me realize, I think this movie is more even about fascism than I first thought because what these cops are doing in defending their right to power more than what is right is so fashion. It is like the essence of Italian fascism that like what you're doing doesn't have to be moral. You're just strong. So you should be in charge. And that's why it's moral because you're strong. And like, that is sort of what they're about that every time these criminals find a way to use the system to disrespect the police they're showing the weakness of the police and that is unacceptable to these police officers and that's part of their fascist tendency is that feeling and you know it's in it's in a way really insightful again it doesn't offer a solution this movie isn't about what to do about the police it's just a criticism of the police but i think there are layers to it and layers to what's going on uh with it uh and again the the foil of our main character is perfect right because he isn't that he isn't that fascist he really thinks all this stuff they're doing even the stuff that we see him do that we think well that's not right he's like but it's for what is right and i think the film is inherently saying that's not enough. Like the system can't justify itself. The system has to be for some higher ideal or else the system will always be corrupt no matter what. I mean, it is a very interesting, it's like a thesis and then a, uh, and then proven like the, the first half of the movie is the thesis. And then the second half is proving that thesis wrong. Right. Which is right. He, belie- he believes you take these handcuffs off us as police officers, we can finally do our jobs. Right. And then the second one, it's like the second half is, well, here's a group of police officers without any handcuffs. And this is what they're doing. Yeah. They're right? murderous monsters. They're and murderous having, and having fun, by the way, they're clearly enjoying what they're doing. And also like, then it's his job to try to stop them. And what the thing really that I, I think makes the second half work a lot better and maybe kind of hammers home a lot of those kind of fascistic um, criticisms is that the public and other police officers love it. 
They love that these criminals are getting murdered. They love that uh, that that uh, like the cops. There, you you know, well, there's a part in the movie where Bertoni has to come out and yell at his own police officers because they're getting more and more sympathetic to these cops who, sorry, to these ex-cops who are going and doing all the things that they wish they could do. And he's legitimately very upset because he doesn't feel that way. He knows he. I mean, he does to a certain extent. What he would, he would like to have less rules on him and his men, but he doesn't want to have no rules because at that point, especially, he's already realizing that that just leads directly to anarchy. And they also kind of put a, a kind of a third layer that the movie is all about hunting down these criminals as well, you know. And at that point, when you see the movie starts with this uh, this uh, jewelry store robbery where these two criminals get away, and then there's kind of a manhunt throughout the movie, very similar to kind of the movies that we talked about in the first episode of the the this show, and they those criminals basically act exactly as the cops do later in the movie though i do think that they're included mostly to add a little bit of more of a lurid element to the movie as a whole like that then directly leads to probably the most um disturbing part of this movie which involves one of these criminals he's driving a motorcycle and he has a woman that he has kidnapped on the back of it and bertoni is obsessed with trying to to you know, stop this criminal and hopefully save this woman at the same time. During this car chase, this uh, this criminal pushes the woman off the back of his motorcycle, and she gets run over by the cops. It's incredibly brutal in the uh, context of the movie. By far the most brutal bit of violence that we see in it. But it also feels like kind of a turning point for Bertoni's kind of mindset in the movie on whether he can even do his job properly as a police officer at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the uh, that's the question underlying the film and i think unlike a lot of people trying to trying to address these issues in a modern context the film doesn't try to solve it for you the film very much wants to say the criminals have to be bad like the criminals have to be bad people in order for us to then take seriously the question of the police and so it's unafraid to show you that these particular criminals are fucking monsters you know what i mean like there's uh, you know i i would argue that the i actually find as you did the uh the prostitutes a little bit endearing like a little bit like hey why are they getting co-? this you know the idea that that uh, uh uh a person trying to make money on the street and maybe occasionally blackmailing someone is the same as a guy who threw a woman off his motorcycle is like really yeah. really a bummer but i think um i think uh the people who are violent, the film isn't defending their violence, you know? And in fact, I, I think if you probably talk to the director, especially the, the situation at the time with uh, crime being organized into various gangs and stuff, whatever, that that's probably just as not cool for him. Like, I don't think he wants to, this isn't a glorification of criminality per se, but also you, you can't, I don't think it makes sense to mount the sort of criticism of the police that he is, which I find I'm very sympathetic to, without acknowledging at the time that there was plenty of violence coming from these criminal folks who suddenly had guns and a disrespect for life and just wanted money, you know? Do you think, Liam, that audiences at the time, or even audiences now, watch this movie and miss that criticism? That what they take away from it is what the first half focuses on, which is that, you know, w- w- the kind of thing that you do see in, in like the first Dirty Harry movie, that that these these laws that are meant to uh, to these laws that are meant to protect innocent people are being abused by criminals, and it means that the police cannot do their job properly, and that is kind of the enduring message as opposed to. The, that the the second half which kind of shows why those laws are in place in the first place 
I would argue it's a mixed bag at the time because one of the things the movie makes clear is all these laws to protect criminals are new. And the public still remembers why those laws are in place because they were the ones getting beat up by the police. So, you know, the, the aspects of the public that are maybe less sympathetic towards criminals would watch this movie and maybe not get the criticism or if they did would be upset about it. But there are still at this point, because the laws are so new, plenty of people who are going to watch this and be like, oh, OK, I get it because they were that this issue is still fresh. You know, they still know about it. Uh, as far as modern audiences, would they get what's going on here per se, depending on where they're at? I, again, it, it might be a litmus test thing. Also, a lot of the fan base for these films in the modern world aren't mm. interested in doing what we're doing right now. And, yeah, 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 and yeah. to that extent, I, you know, apologies to those of you who tuned in just wanting us to talk about how violent it was or if there was any nudity in the film. Um, all that stuff is cool too. Like we're not above that, but for us, you know, part of the curiosity about these films is they are such a mixed bag when it comes to thinking about crime and the police and things like that, that that's part of what we're interested in in watching these movies. And so we're talking about this and I I think that is, I don't want to say unique because I don't think we're special, but I don't know that a lot of people would spend the time worrying about it. And honestly, the movie kind of ends in a way that maybe says this is a problem, but it's a problem I don't know how to solve. And in my experience, that's actually the most common perspective in America. Like we tend to hear in the discourse, either people who are like abolish the police or people who are like stop criticizing the police. And I think the majority of people are actually in the middle where they can't imagine a world without police, but they're fully aware that oftentimes police are bad. And so they're they're sort of in a throw your hands up in the air. It's kind of how Americans tend to feel about war, right? I think most Americans actually think war is bad, but they don't think there's any other solution to those problems. So they just kind of go, all right, we got to do the bad thing again. Oh, well, you know, like, I think that's how the majority of Americans and probably people in other countries, too, but I can just speak for my own. That's how they actually think about the police, that like maybe the police aren't the best and they are inclined to be corrupt in some ways, but there isn't any other thing we can do. Um, and so therefore we must do this thing, which is, by the way, not true, but I get why it's become the mindset of so many people. I mean, it fuels the bad faith uh, arguments, right? Which right. is that, it, you know... If I'm if I say you know what it looks like the cops are killing a lot of really innocent people and they're targeting people of color and says so you hate the police and I don't hate the police I think maybe they should have you know being restricted a little bit more maybe they should have body cameras you know no no you hate the police well on the other side it's just like you know if I feel like those restrictions are already too strong then you love the police here's the thing that's difficult for me saying any of this Liam which is that. I do hate the police. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, and and, and I want to be clear, like that part of our part of our motivation here, I think, is that we are very much like the police need to be replaced. But I think we also said already, but just to reiterate, we don't expect, you know, Euro crime movies from the 70s, there to be a lot of directors going, I think we should <laughs> abolish the police. I don't I don't think that was really in the conversation at the time, per se, especially because and, and, and I want to acknowledge this, the the situation at the time that these movies represented was real. There was a lot of violent crime happening. It's harder to have these conversations when you are talking to people who like have dead family members. You know what I mean? Like we need to acknowledge the difficulty here. It's it it is not always easy to have a conversation about what should happen to the police when people are victims of things that they feel the police are the only solution for. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's very interesting that, uh, according to Roberto Curdy, even though the, the the writer of Italian crime filmography, which is really one of the the bibles for us as we go through the series, uh, that this film, even though it's generally considered the movie that kind of kicked off the Eurocrime boom in the 70s, he thinks of it more as a continuation of a tradition of a kind of Italian movie that we're, we're both of us are really not familiar with. But the, the fact is, its success, its financial success, still did influence a lot of the movies that were to come. And it's very interesting to me that the movie that kicked off the Eurocrime boom to a certain extent is a movie that's very critical of the police at its core. And I don't know if that is something that we're going to see in a lot of the movies that uh, it, it's, it kind of uh, birthed afterwards. Well, and I well, I would say, Doug, again, the, the point of us doing this is that neither of us are experts, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say, in the ones that I've seen, there are plenty of directors who thought, sure, I could do a movie about cops, but who cares <laughs> about cops? Let's do a movie about criminals. And th- that a lot of the movies that came out at this time weren't just cop dramas. There are just as many about the hitman who's trying to quit or uh, the power struggle between two crime bosses. Like, th- that a lot of movies came out that had a similar aesthetic, but were focused on different aspects of the struggle. You know what I'm saying? And 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 so you might see in one year a, a movie with the you know uh, Franco Nero or the the uh, Le Samurai guy or whoever, and they might be a cop, and then the next year they're a hitman, and then the next year they're a cop again, and then oh no, now they're a hitman. You know, like it. it, it I think the 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 camera went back and forth. It'll be interesting to me because I don't know though that it seems very clear that this movie has a lot on its mind regardless of how people feel how successful it is at addressing those topics i don't know how many of its uh not predecessors that would be before how many of its uh followers let's say have as much on its mind as this movie does right right i mean i we're saying that again from a position of somewhat ignorance so i guess we'll find out as we move forward i want to talk a little bit about Enrico Maria Salerno uh, as Bertoni in this film. Uh, probably best known to listeners of this if you are not familiar with his Eurocrime roles, uh, his role in Dario Argento's The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Uh, really appropriately cast here as a Dirty Harry-ish uh, cop because he was the voice of Clint Eastwood in the Italian versions of uh, Leone's uh, Dollars trilogy. And uh, because of the success of this movie, he went on and did a number of Eurocrime films after that. I think he's terrific in this. It is difficult, and it's something I think we mentioned in the first episode. It's a little difficult when we're talking about these dubbed performances. It's obviously not his voice that we're hearing. Uh, the dub in this movie is a little iffy at points. That it's it's hard to judge whether someone is giving a strong performance or not without that vocal element. But I do think that his performance really kind of breaks through, not just because he's at the center of it, but because he's sort of a, a tortured guy, uh, even though he's not completely humorless we at least have a kind of counterpoint his girlfriend is a left-leaning reporter and every time he tries to get too serious or too uh you know the that they won't let me do my job she kind of counterbalances that with facts which is a really kind of refreshing thing in this movie but i really do think that his performance is the kind of thing that you remember enough that you can see why it would have led to a lot more similar kind of roles afterwards do you think there's a version of this movie available that's just uh subs instead of dubs uh Actually, uh, if I remember correctly, Liam, the version I sent over to you does have an Italian track on it. I couldn't find subs, though, for it. I, I... Oh, it's interesting. I did find subs for it, okay. but there, the subs were strictly, uh, they seemed to be strictly just what was on the English track. Okay, um, okay. Because all I would say is, um, 
at time, the one negative thing for me of this movie that is a criticism as a viewer is that at times the dub feels bad. At times the English, and it's not the dub, right? Like the actors are doing a fine job. It's the translation work that has to fit their mouths, basically. And like like uh, kung, you know, certain kinds of uh, kung fu movies that were dubbed, you might find that what people are saying it doesn't match because they're trying to match what they're saying to the, you know, the the mouth movements. That feels like is happening here because there's, it's not a lot, but there's like three or four sections where I thought, come on, what the fuck are you even saying right now? You know, and 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 I and I wonder if it, I would have enjoyed if those movements wouldn't have been a distraction if I had had the Italian version on with subs. The, I don't the know. thing is, it might have been a the same kind of frustration on a different level right because i mean exactly the italian, you're right the italian track of course is post up too not everyone would be using their same voices there and some of these performers are speaking english right i mean Cyril cusack is certainly speaking right english no you're right. you're right you're right you're right it actually i don't know this for sure i think it's possible that that even some of the lead italian actors are speaking english uh at least in, in maybe in the scenes with Cyril cusack to make it a little bit easier on him so it's it you might still run into that frustration. It I mean, is. It might just gonna... be that the dialogue is bad. It's just the way that it was ADR'd. It felt like is that even what was said? I don't know. Like there's just some awkward. Let's say. Let's put it this way. There's awkward ADR moments that make me feel like either the script isn't always great or something was going on with the recording later. One of the things that, again, without a lot of familiarity with Eurocrime movies, but certainly having watched the documentary and read up a little bit on it. It feels like a lot of people fixate on the action sequences. One of the interesting things about Execution Squad is that there really aren't that many <laughs> action sequences in it. Uh, and what's here, I don't think, are necessarily that exciting or thrilling or or even that well shot. There's a couple of car traces, as you mentioned, Liam. But this is not a movie that kind of fixates on the action aspect of it. Was that, Was there any action that kind of stuck out to you in the film? I thought the car chase, uh, when they... Um... When the criminal gets away and then they're chasing him on the motorcycle, I thought that stuff was pretty good. Um, there's a few car chase sections that are pretty good. And I will say, like, when uh, the uh, bank robber guy who kills that poor woman, when he turns himself in and there's some of the shooting, that was okay. I think it could have been – it's edited in a way that's a little distracting at times, but I, I still thought it was pretty good. But overall, no, there's not a, there's not like one sequence that you're like, oh, my God, that was crazy. Um, and, and, and you're right. For a lot of people, that's why they watch these films. And, and of some of the ones that I've seen, that's why I remember them is because they had some sequences that were just mind blowing as right. far as the action. Mm -hmm. That's not this movie. I think it's more compelling for the narrative than it is for any of the action sequences. I do want to talk a little bit more about that bus sequence yeah. in the movie. Yeah. So it's so it's such a bizarre thing, but it's also very very memorable. So at at one point in the movie, Bertoni, he's getting hammered because there's these criminals on the loose. Uh, it looks like his men have uh, have beaten up a quote unquote innocent man, and he's being accused of police violence. And you know he's just the the, the reporters who, by the way, reporters ha seem to have a very close relationship. With, with these uh, cops to the point where at one point he says something controversial and his girlfriend's like, don't print that. He'll get in more trouble. And they're like, okay. Uh, but it's a very kind of conversational thing. He says, you know what? I'm going to take control of the narrative. I'm going to get all the reporters, put them on a bus, and give them a criminal tour throughout uh, you know, this part of Italy. And it, it, it seems to be fairly effective. But as we've already mentioned, he, he 
brings prostitutes on board. He he tells them the prostitutes' names, which I think is a little bit strange. But it very much is a, um, a, a it's very much meant to show to these reporters, uh, these are some of the awful people that I cannot arrest because if I if I do, it's either going to make uh, things worse or they're just going to end up back on the street. What did you think of this bus sequence, Liam? It's so strange. It's a weird thing. I mean. It from a narrative level, it kind of works because it helps us understand how committed this dude is to try to convince people that right. he's right. That like they they need to stop hammering the police on everything they do. However, the whole time, a lot of the questions that the press have are very good <laughs> questions that he doesn't answer very well. And like like we said, like when he's interacting with both the female and. Uh, male in quotations, depending on what's going on, uh, yeah. pro, you know, uh, sex workers that they uh, they're sympathetic. Like I like feel for them, you know, and and the idea that he's like, well, even his point, like, well, if she even if she decides to leave, her her uh, pimp basically could could end her life. It's like I don't understand how you being a violent asshole helps her. How does yeah. that help her escape that situation? Like he makes this case, things are rough out here. But what he never gets, and I think that's what's important, is how does all the violence help you in this world that you're talking about? It's it's not clear that he actually has any solution for how bad the world is, other than so we gotta fuck some people up. And it's like, what what does that matter? You think one 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 of the reporters would raise their hand and be like, so you say that we should then legalize prostitution and get rid of all these pimps? And right, exactly. Right? He never, he would never, he would never kind of capitulate to that point where it even, seems like the, the obvious solution. Even the blackmail thing, it's like, oh yeah, we probably shouldn't shame people for who it is that they're attracted to and want to have sex with. That's why they can black, like the, 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 uh, you know, gay sex workers can blackmail these people because we live in a restrictive homophobic society. If we didn't, there'd be no blackmail. Like, what the fuck is going on right now? It's really notable that the execution squad or the cleanup uh, crew or whatever the hell they call them in the movie proper, that when they end up murdering uh, the the person who tries to pick up the the gay prostitute, they they... They murder the guy who's trying to pick him up. They don't murder the prostitute. And in fact, uh, Bertoni says that that's one of their big mistakes is that they should have murdered the prostitute as well because then uh, there wouldn't be anyone that could kind of track them down and lead, you know, kind of leave some clues behind. But it, that is a strange decision for the movie, right? That they target the people who are just, you know, homosexuals. I think there's a suggestion that maybe the the prostitute may have been underage or something like that. They do mention something about pederasts in the movie, but I don't think they make that explicit. It just seemed to me that it's just like if you're gay, then the execution squad's going to kill you if you try to pick up a gay prostitute. It was. I mean, again, we sh we're not surprising anyone by saying that there is uh, homophobia in this movie, but it's part of the fabric. But the film seems to have a interesting relationship to that. You know, yeah. it's it's not clear mm -hmm. that it has a perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, again, there, there's a lot of dated elements to this movie, though in some ways I could see someone, really an American director tomorrow, making an Execution Squad remake where it's, again, just, just rogue cops deciding to go in for business for themselves and making... I mean, look at the history of the L.A. Sheriff's Department having all those gangs, the sheriff yeah, gangs. Absolutely. You know, that's what's going on with this cleanup squad. They're just a sheriff gang. We've had it here for years and years and years and known about that it was a real thing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, this is a movie that it's not that far 
removed from reality and probably didn't feel that far removed from reality in uh, Italy in the early 1970s. Uh, we talked already about the film's ending. Bertoni, as we mentioned, he basically decides to quit because he realizes that these um, not only are these uh, members of the execution squad ex-cops and probably cops that were dismissed for being too violent, but they're actually being led by the former superintendent, basically the former person who did his job, played by Sarah Cusack in this movie, probably uh, given this role because he was known from Fahrenheit 451, another movie talk talking directly and dealing directly with fascism. And, um, and he, with that realization, he goes to arrest the former superintendent and at that moment at the golf course gets shot by men, including... Uh, one of his own men who are completely fine with the idea because he's gotten too far that he's he's found out too much about their little organization. A suggestion that not only are these rogue cops, but that even the cops within the police force are either sympathetic, like we already knew they were sympathetic, but that they're working directly with this uh, so-called execution squad. A very kind of dark ending. As you said, Liam, there is a then a sequence afterwards which uh, where the DA, who at up to this point in the movie has been sort of combative with Bertoni and not believing him that these things exist and that it's not as bad. There is a suggestion at the end that like, oh, now I believe in it and I'm going to come after you. But he's such a weak character because of how he's been presented in the movie up to that point that it that it does feel particularly toothless. Still, though, a, an incredibly cynical ending to this movie. Well, I think it's meant as a sign of hope because um, the feeling I, I got from it, and maybe that's just me, is this feeling that whatever happens, fascism always overplays its hand. The dude, even with Bertoni, is that right, Bertoni? Yeah. Even with his dead body in front of him, the first thing the DA says is, this is an evidence of a conspiracy. What convinces him that it might be a conspiracy is when a really important guy in a car goes, <laughs> oh man, this clearly wasn't a conspiracy, right? We all know that. As long as you know it, you're going to have a great career ahead of you. That's the moment when he knows, oh fuck, this is clearly a conspiracy. You wouldn't threaten a man. You wouldn't be here threatening me over this man's dead body if it wasn't a conspiracy. So that's like where he decides he's going to investigate. And I think that's meant to be a sign of hope of like, don't worry, these bastards will eventually overplay their hand and, you know, there'll they'll be some uh, comeuppance. But it doesn't work really because it suggests, well, it works fine, but for us, it doesn't work because it suggests that eventually the system will right itself. And I don't know that that's true. I think the system will actually be fine with the cleanup squad and they don't need, the, the system won't automatically take care of the cleanup squad. In my brain, there's one extra scene in this movie where they're just fishing the DA's body out of the river at the end of it, right? right. I mean, he's just the next corpse. What the yeah. hell is going to stop them from taking on him instead? It doesn't seem like they have any difficulty with it. Yeah, it's, and that's uh, and that's fair. Maybe that's the suggestion: is that another good man is going to die? I don't fucking know. But it just was a. It, it's an interesting way to end the film because I felt pretty comfortable with just his dead. Like they could have just ended with them finding his dead body as the ending of the film. <laughs> Liam, final thoughts on 1972's Execution Squad. You, you, actually, one thing I want you to say is whether you thought that this film was appreciably better than the two films that we covered on the first episode. I don't know. I really liked those first two films as well. So I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. You know, but they weren't. I don't know that this film is more exciting. Like if, if your experience of those first two movies is they're pretty good, but I'm looking for something even more right, right, intense. Right. This mm -hmm. movie doesn't give that. But what makes this movie a little bit better for me is that there's more to think about, that there's more at play under the surface. And I like that. Now, granted, that isn't necessarily why I'm coming to these movies. So I'll be, 
honestly, I'll be a little excited when we get to some of these more mindless movies that just have a lot of like 70s style car crashes and stuff. Like, I'm also into that. That's also cool. But I am glad that we got to something that is sort of acknowledging the nuance of what this genre is dealing with, which is a complicated criminal justice system. I'm into that. Um, and so for me, yeah, this is a little bit better than those other two movies. Uh, but we, we haven't yet gotten to what I know is true about some of these movies, which is they have sequences where I don't understand how they did that in a movie. <laughs> and I think that's what we're moving towards now, right? This is closer to what I expected out of the Eurocrime movies that we're going to be covering on the show. However, it's yet at this point to be paired with some of that wild action, even some of that wild action that we saw in the films in the first episode. So to me, it's like, okay, we have half the, half the, uh, the formula here, half the formula over there. What happens when we put them together? Well, I guess we're going to find out pretty soon. Uh, Liam, what are we going to watch on the next episode of Wild in the Streets? Well, we're going to be covering 1974's Almost Human. Which has, which, which has a much longer Italian name that I don't know. I don't know you, how to. You know, I've tried to try to pronounce some Italian stuff. Liam, why don't you uh, give that one a shot? Okay. <clears throat> Milano Dia, colon. La polizia non può sparare. 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 That sounds good. That's better than I could do. Starring. Of well, course, there's no, there's no please. accent on that e, so I think it's not sparare. I think it's, oh. but I don't know how to pronounce that double r very well. Granted, uh, anyone who hears me, I sound like fucking Mario or something. Like I'm not trying to say my Italian pronunciation is very good, but I just, I, I know I'm like Milano Odia. Well, <laughs> Okay, on the next episode, we'll be watching Almost Human from 1974, starring Thomas Millian and Henry Silva. Very much looking forward to that, a movie I have not seen before. And this is is an Umberto Lenzi? Yes, Umberto Lenzi, that's right. I've seen enough other Umberto Lenzi movies to be very excited about this. You know what's funny is in the 90s, when I was first getting into Italian horror... Umberto Lenzi didn't have a great reputation in a lot of what I was reading about because, specifically because of kind of his low-budget rip-off horror movies in the 1980s. And then I found out much later that he was kind of this, one of the gods of this genre, of this Eurocrime genre, and considered one of the top directors within it. And uh, I've, I've seen a lot more Lindsay. I've seen some of his Giallo and, and, and things like that. So I have a much more respect for him as a director. But uh, I, uh, I don't think I've seen one of his Eurocrime movies. So very excited to check this out. Yeah, I've never seen this one, but I've been hearing about it for a long time. So I'm pretty excited to watch it. Liam O'Donnell, if people want to check out more episodes of Wild in the Streets or our other podcasts or other work in general, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can head over to Cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X, to check out not only this podcast, but a whole family of podcasts, as well as some uh, new ones that might be coming on board very soon. Uh, They can also check out some writing over there. We uh, just recently, uh, I published a piece on Small Axe, and uh, our our writer, Nick Spotcheck has been doing some interesting interviews uh, with record labels and stuff so there's a lot of fun stuff over there there's also our merch store and our patreon um they can also if uh they want to support cinepunks head on over to essex coffee roasters where we just launched our signature blend santa cafe a nod to uh alejandro yodorowsky's santa sangre uh it's really good it's a mexican blend um it is delicious i specifically chose it and i think it's great so uh we get a portion of sales of every bag 
bag of that. So if you head over to Essex Coffee Roasters, it's their featured limited coffee right now. Uh, if they want to dive into our archives, they can head on over to cinemasmorgasbord.com where they'll find not just this uh, show on the Cinema Smorgasbord family, but a whole bunch of shows covering Jackie Chan and Carol Kane and uh, uh uh, directors like uh, John Singleton and uh, genre film of various kinds and film festivals and all kinds of stuff. So head on over to cinemasmorgasbord.com. And of course, if you're on social media, you can follow Cinepunk, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X on all platforms. And they can follow us on Twitter at Cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. And you can, of course, you can, of course, follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. Or you can, of course, follow me on Twitter. And why don't you? It's over there at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And if you'd like to leave us a review on your platform of choice, including iTunes, ah, we'd appreciate it very much. Every little bit helps. We'll be back very soon with another Eurocrime classic. Good night, everybody. Night-night. <laughs>